the Holy Spirit and His gifts. By Rod Anderson. Lesson five. Father, we we approach your throne again with great reverence and great respect, Father, for the work of your Spirit and for the work of the Father and the work of the Son. We we're longing to understand better what it means to yield to you and how to let you be God and let you be true in our lives. It's kind of a puzzling situation, Father. We live in flesh and blood bodies, and yet you've told us to be led by our spirit. And so we, we ask you to help us with this, Father. We really need your help in understanding how to do that. We thank you for the truth of the Word of God, and tonight I'm asking once again for you to, to guide us into truth as you said that you would. Holy Spirit, we're talking about you. We want to learn of you, and there's no better person to teach us about yourself than yourself. So we do invite you once again. Please teach us. Please guide us into truth. Please show us about yourself. Teach us these things. Reveal to us what you want to reveal to us tonight. Let each of us have ears to hear what you want to say to us as individuals. We're going to do our best to posture ourselves or position ourselves before you in such a way that we might really have ears to hear what you want to speak to us. We must know you, Holy One. We must know how to listen for your voice. We must know how to listen for your promptings and for your guidings. So we're trusting you to help us learn how to tell the difference between our mind and you that speaks to us inside. So we ask for your help. We believe in the name of Jesus Christ that we receive help from heaven. So, Father, please come now and grant us wisdom and revelation, your spirit of wisdom and revelation. I ask again for you to open up the eyes of our understanding. I ask for you to help us to see what is the hope of our calling and the riches of the glory of your inheritance that's within each one of us. So help us as we look at these verses, Father, and as we go into this, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, this is going to be hour number five, then, on the Holy Spirit and His gifts. If you have your notes, I want you to go to page nine, which is lesson four. I want you to go ahead and turn to Acts chapter one in your Bibles, if you would. What we're going to do in this first session tonight is, is um, again, go over the basic biblical well, Bible verses that um, speak to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and then we're going to talk about tongues being the initial evidence of the, of the Holy Spirit and what have you. Uh, because we have four hours left, so I need to give time to this, because this is really, really vital in my opinion. And then next week, we'll take the final two hours to give you an overview of the actual gifts of the Spirit and some very interesting things about that, okay? So at the top of the page... I want to just read from the outline. It says that God sustains, the Bible teaches that God sustains three relations to man. That is God for us, that's God with us, and God in us, okay? And then we have three, these three verses here in, that where Paul refers to us as being the temple of God, that you need to, again, have, those, have a real awareness of these verses. 
It's 1 Corinthians 3.16, which says, Know ye not, I'm just reading from the outline, you don't have to turn there. Paul said, Know you not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Then in 1 Corinthians 6.19, he more or less repeats himself, and he says, What? Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? And then 2 Corinthians 6.16, he says, And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I just want to make a reference to a point there. Those things are, that are said there in three times, I, I would like for you to just make a note to yourself later to, con to consider this parallel. Uh, the Bible says that we are, that are born again, remember that when we're born again, again, that God has taken out of, our, out of us a heart of stone, that verse that we all know so well in Ezekiel. God's taken out. When you get born again, He takes out of you a heart of stone and He replaces it with a heart of flesh. Is that right? Everybody say amen so I know you're awake. Okay, amen. And then he says that we're supposed to, of course, have our minds renewed to the Word of God. And he said that he wants his laws or his commandments to, to now be written upon the fleshly tablets of our heart. In other words, he's likening the, freshly, the fleshly tablets of our heart to the tablets of stone that the law was written upon that was given to Moses through the mediation of angels. Well, you remember that the two slabs of stone, the manna, the Aaron's rod that budded, and all those things were put into the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember that? How many of you seen the, the Temple of Lost Doom, <laughs> the Lost Ark, <laughs> any of the old Indiana Jones films? But the point is that the, that Ark of the Covenant that was, that was what always went before God's people. Whenever the Ark went before God's people, they were assured of victory because the Ark had within it the presence of God, didn't it? And if you think about this, remember the the bad, well, the tough situation with David when, when the ark, remember, went into captivity to the Philistines for a while, and then when they, the Philistines realized that they couldn't keep the presence of God there because all of their gods were being broken in half and their heads falling off their own gods in their own temple of Dagon, and so they said, let's get rid of this thing. They put it on a cart and sent it out, and it came, and of course, Obed-Edom uh, is the one that came to his area, and David was thrilled to hear about this and said, let's keep the Ark there for these three months. And so the, so, um, the Ark of the Covenant was kept at Obed-Edom's house for three months, and the Bible says that everything around Obed-Edom prospered. I've got a wonderful little side story about that. When I was in Israel, I've only been there one time, and our friends who lived there uh, took us to a little village called Abu Ghosh. And, Abu Ghosh is eight miles outside of Jerusalem, and it's an Arab little village, and he said that they've done all these uh, excavations on the top of this one little hill, and this guy took us up there. This is a uh, uh, Barry and Batcha Siegel. You've probably seen them on television. What have you. They have the Joseph Storehouse, what have you. But anyhow, they took us up on this little hill there in Abu Ghosh, and showed us all these little signs and what have you that pointed to the fact that they have absolutely, positively identified this site. There's a Catholic church on it now, but as the original home of the home of Obed-Edom. And uh, this little hill, in other words, it was the area where the ark was kept. But what so struck me is, is uh, Barry said to me, he said, you know, it's interesting. He said that Obed-Edom, of course, remember, he, he was a Philistine himself. He was an outsider of the people of, 
of Israel, but because he welcomed the ark and welcomed the presence of God, everything but everything of his and his household prospered. But the thing that I thought was interesting is Barry just happened to share in passing. He said, you know, the interesting thing about that is, he said, this little village has always welcomed us and always welcomed the people of God all the way back to Obed-Edom when he set that precedent. And he said, you know, the interesting thing, Rod, is he says, to this day, he said, Abu Ghosh is the most prosperous city in all of Israel. And I thought that was really interesting. In other words, because they, and you know, and you know there's got to be a tie there because he welcomed the, the presence of God. He welcomed the ark of God all that way, all those years ago. Now I said all that simply to say that today, well, one of the things that we remember about that is when David came and they came to take that ark from Obed-Edom's house and take it back to Jerusalem. You remember, of course, that at first, when they first started to take it out, they, they put it on a cart and they thought they would carry it their own way. And of course, Uzzah, or Uzzah, however you want to pronounce it, one of David's men, when the, when the ark started to fall off of the cart, he went up and put his hand against it to steady it, and he was stricken dead. He was smitten dead instantly because of the presence of God because no sin, no sin rather could come in contact with that. It had to be carried exactly correctly and with these staves of wood put, put through these gold rings and all of the stuff that surrounds the symbolism about the ark. But the point is no sin could touch that ark. Nothing that was sinful could touch that ark and live. And within the ark, like I said, was the tablets of stone, Aaron's bud that rotted and what have you. And the only reason I'm sharing all that little side story for a moment is because we just read these three scriptures. Know ye not that you're the temple of God. Know ye not that you're the temple of God. Do you not understand that you are the temple of God? And now God's spirit, God's presence lives within you. I never will forget the moment years ago when it really dawned upon me what this was stating, that it was stating that today we are in the New Testament arcs of the covenant. Now, that may just fly right over your head, but what I begin to think about is there's all the parallels tied true to that when you study them all out. In God's economy, I believe with my whole heart when we get to heaven that we're going to discover that in God's mind that everything remains the same, that to His mind, because His presence dwells in us, that no sin should be able now to touch us and continue. In other words, it should die. Sickness and disease should die. The moment it con comes in contact with the presence of God. But we are the temple of God, just exactly like that ark was the house of the presence of God in those days. So that's just a side note, but it's something that I want you to just to think about and just put off to the side and just meditate on in your own time. Because if you give yourself to thinking about that and really read about the ark and then really consider this, it'll, it'll begin to bless you and give you some, give you some uh, goosebumps even, all right? Now... Point two down here, it says the evidence of the Spirit's indwelling. But I'm going to read Acts chapter 1 here right from the beginning just for the moment because I want you to see this about the Holy Spirit. And again, we all have some knowledge of the Holy Spirit. We've already been talking about Him for four hours. But uh, now is when we get to the actual things about the first manifestation of the first working that is something to me that is just of vital importance. But verse 1 of Acts 1, Luke, of course, is the author of the book of Acts, and he says, In the former account which I prepared with Theophilus, I made a continuous report. This is chapter 1, verse 1. I made a continuous report dealing with all the things which Jesus began to do and to teach until the day when he ascended, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had instructed and commanded the apostles and the special messengers whom he had chosen. To them also he showed himself alive after his passion, his suffering in the garden and on the cross, 
by a series of many convincing demonstrations, unquestionable evidences and infallible proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and talking to them about the things of the kingdom of God. And while being in the company and eating with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, of which he said, you have heard me speak, for John baptized with water, but now many days, but not many days from now, you shall be baptized or placed in or introduced into the Holy Spirit. So when they were assembled, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you will reestablish the kingdom to restore, restore it to Israel? Now, you have to see, he said, I want you to stay here. I don't want you to go anywhere until you receive the Holy Spirit. They immediately jump to something else and say, is this when you're going to reestablish the kingdom? They're thinking already in physical, natural terms that he's about to, you know, kick all the bad kings out and establishes the kingdom of heaven on earth. Right then all the Roman soldiers will be taken out and what have you. And again, they said, Lord, is this the time when you will reestablish the kingdom and restore it to Israel? Verse 7, he said to them, guys, it is not for you to become acquainted with and know what time brings the things and the events of time and their definite periods or their fixed years and seasons, their critical niche in time which the Father has appointed and fixed and reserved by his own choice and authority and personal power, but you shall receive power. In other words, I want you to see they're asking a natural question, but he's trying to bring them back to what to him is essential. Now, I just want you to see this about the Holy Spirit before we get started. The first thing that Jesus is commanding them after he rise, raises from the dead, he commands them, I don't want you going anywhere. I don't want you going anywhere until you receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, just like his ministry didn't begin until he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, he's trying to get them to understand, you really are not going to be able to do anything really representative of my name until you receive the Holy Spirit and learn how to flow and function with him. But the Amplified says, but you shall receive power, power, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses. In other words, when the power of the Holy Spirit comes, he said, this is what's going to enable you to be a witness or bear testimony of my lordship. You're going to bear testimony of me by virtue of the fact that you're going to have the same spirit possessing you that has filled me. It says, but you shall receive power, ability, efficiency, and might when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends and the very bounds of the earth. So I want you just to see that the first thing again that's most important on the Lord's mind was that they again go nowhere until they really experience this that he said is necessary for ministry and is necessary for life, all right? Now let's go ahead and jump to chapter 2, the same book of Acts. Go to chapter 2, and we'll read these first, again, verses about the day of Pentecost when it happens. It said, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all assembled together in one place, when suddenly there came a sound, there came a sound from heaven, like the rushing of a violent tempest blast. It had filled the whole house in which they were sitting, and there appeared to them 
tongues resembling fire, which were separated and distributed and which settled on each one of them, and they were all filled or diffused throughout their souls with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other different foreign languages or tongues as the Spirit kept giving them clear and loud expression. Did you notice it says there from the translation of the Greek, as the Spirit kept giving them clear and loud expression in each tongue in appropriate words. Now, there were then residing in Jerusalem Jews, devout and God-fearing men from every country under heaven because they'd come there during this great feast time. And when this sound was heard, the multitude came together. They were astonished. They were bewildered because each one heard the apostles speaking in his own particular dialect. And they were besides themselves with amazement, saying, Are not all these who are talking Galileans? Then how is it that we hear each of us in our own particular dialect to which we were born? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and inhabitants of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and the province of Asia, Phygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya about Cyrene and the transient residents from Rome, both Jews and proselytes to Judaism, Cretans and Arabians too, we all hear them speaking in our own native tongues and telling of the mighty works of God. In other words, they heard in their own tongue Every tongue was saying basically the same thing, declaring the mighty works of God. And all were beside themselves with amazement and were puzzled and bewildered. And they said one to another, what can this mean? But others made a joke of it. And they still do today. But others made a joke of it and derisively said they are simply drunk and full of sweet intoxicating wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, You Jews and all you residents of Jerusalem... Let this be explained to you so that you will know and understand and listen closely to what I have to say. For these men are not drunk as you imagine, for it is only the third hour, about 9 a.m. of the day. But instead, this is the beginning. This is the beginning of what was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, God declares, that I will pour out of my spirit upon all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, tell forth divine counsels. Your young men shall see visions, divinely granted appearances. And your old men shall dream dreams. Yes, and on my men servants also, and on my maid servants in those days, I will pour out of my spirit, and they shall prophesy and predict future events pertaining especially to God's kingdom. And I will show wonders in the sky above, signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and smoking vapor. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the obvious day of the Lord comes, that great and notable and conspicuous and renowned day. And it shall be that whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, invoking, adoring, and worshiping the Lord Christ shall be saved. Hallelujah. So it goes on, but the point is I want you to read that right from the, from the gate. Again, I, I want you in your heart to hear the importance of the Lord what he said to them, I do not want you to go anywhere until this experience captures you, until you receive the Holy Spirit, because he said you're going to need to be empowered, you're going to need to be illumined, you're going to need to have this experience. So 
Hopefully we can all agree that that's what he taught and that's what happened. They waited. They were all together in the upper room praying. They were all in one accord, as it says in the King James. It means they were all in agreement and the Holy Spirit came and fell upon them. And as we said before, this is what's called, of course, the day of Pentecost when, when the Holy Spirit first fell upon them all. And it was, again, that which launched all of the New Testament ministry into being. Now, we've already read through things, and we're going to look at these verses now on the, on the outline here, that the biblical pattern of the evidence, what we call the initial evidence, in other words, if we're going to look at the Bible scriptures in the book of Acts that actually say what happened when people were filled with the Holy Spirit, we're going to see that the Bible records in each instance, again, that they spoke with other tongues. Now, this has to be of great importance to us then. And, of course, what I'm going to get to tonight in both sessions when it's all said and done is this issue about why tongues is so necessary and why speaking in tongues is much more than just a Pentecostal badge that we wear on our jacket saying, look at this, I can pray in tongues, I'm Pentecostal, and then you give a little burst of tongues or something. I mean, how important is it if Jesus commanded his disciples not to go anywhere and if the very first thing that happened physically to them after the Holy Spirit came upon them was that they began to speak in other tongues. Now, what I do not want you to do tonight is to get lost in some theological debate about whether or not they were speaking in tongues of angels or tongues of men. Paul refers to that as we're going to get to later in Corinthians. Here it says categorically they were speaking in other languages that these people that were there understood. So beautiful. That's fine. But the point is they were speaking in languages that they never learned themselves naturally. It was something that came through the impartation of the Holy Spirit. And what they did here was everybody recounting or declaring the wonderful works of the Lord. So we ask ourselves the question, was it only for them? Or is that an experience that we should experience today ourselves in the body of Christ? Like I said, in some Bible schools, when you go to them, some major universities, major seminaries rather, of course, they practice what you call cessationism. To, that means, you know, C-E-S-S-A-T-I-O-N-I-S-M, cessation, cease. And what they teach is, of course, that all these things passed away. They ceased, you know, during the time of the apostles, that they were only for that moment in history. And so the phrase that they'll use in seminaries, that these things that we read about here, they say are descriptive, but definitely not prescriptive. That's what they'll say in these seminaries. I disagree. I believe indeed that the prescriptive, in other words, I believe it's a prescription for us today that uh, you need to go to Dr. Jesus and get filled out, if you know what I mean, <laughs> all right? But on the outline, let's just look at them. I know that you'll probably know them already, but it's, it's important for whosoever may listen to these that they have them. In Acts chapter 10, verse 44, actually, well, let's just turn to Acts 10. We've got to march through these a little bit here. We're going to go back and forth, actually, just for a moment. But Acts chapter 10 uh, this is when Peter is sent to Cornelius' house. And I'm going to start reading here from, uh, from verse... Well, I just want you to see it in, in context. Cornelius began to pray. Now, Cornelius wasn't even born again. He was outside of the people of Israel. But it made no difference. He was a man who feared God. He was a centurion in the Roman army, actually. You can see that in verse 22 of chapter 10. But we're going to start in verse... And they, anyhow, they began to pray. You can see they prayed, and they wanted somebody to come down and tell them about this Jesus they'd heard about. And, of course, Peter receives a vision because of this other man's prayer and goes to Cornelius' house. 
And you'll see Peter as he takes up this in verse 29, Acts chapter 10, verse 29, Peter's talking. He said, Therefore, when I was sent for, I came without hesitation or objection or misgiving. So now I ask for what reason you sent for me. Verse 30, and Cornelius said, This is now the fourth day since about this time I was observing the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon of prayer in my lodging place, and suddenly a man stood before me in dazzling apparel. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and hearkened to, and your donations to the poor have been known and preserved before God so that he heeds and is about to help you. Interesting. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is surnamed Peter. He is staying in the house of Simon the Tanner by the seaside. So at once I sent for you, and you, being a Jew, have done a kind and courteous and handsome thing in coming. Now then we are all present in the sight of God to listen to all that you have been instructed by the Lord to say. And Peter opened his mouth and said, Most certainly and thoroughly I now perceive and understand that God shows no partiality and is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he who venerates and has a reverential fear for God, who treats him with worshipful obedience and living uprightly, is acceptable to him and sure of being received and welcomed by him. You know the contents of the message which he sent to Israel, announcing the good news of peace by Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. The same message which was proclaimed throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee after the baptism preached by John. How God anointed and consecrated Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with strength and ability and power, and how he went about doing good, and in particular curing all who were harassed and oppressed by the power of the devil, for God was with him. And we are eye and ear witnesses of everything that he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And yet they put him out of the way. They murdered him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him to life on the third day and caused him to be made to be manifest, caused him to be manifest to be plainly seen. Verse 41, not by all the people, but to us who were chosen and designated beforehand by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he charged us to preach to the people and to bear solemn testimony that he is the God-appointed and God-ordained judge of the living and the dead. And to him all the prophets testify and bear witness that everyone who believes in him, who adheres to and trusts and relies on him, who give themselves up to him, will receive forgiveness of sins through his name. Now verse 44, 44 says, While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening to the message. And the believers from among the circumcised, the Jews who came with Peter, were surprised and amazed because the free gift of the Holy Spirit had been bestowed and poured out largely even on the Gentiles for, what's verse 46 say? For they heard them speaking in unknown tongues, it says in the King James. The Amplified says, For they heard them talking in unknown tongues and extolling and magnifying God. And then Peter asked, Can anybody forbid or refuse water for baptizing these people, seeing that they've received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Well, again, we're, we're reading a lot of Scripture here, but I can't, like I said, presume all this. You need to see that what they saw, the moment they received, the reason the Jews and those who came down from Jerusalem with Peter, what the Bible says caused them to believe or to know that these people had received, Cornelius' household had received the Holy Spirit was what? I mean, the Bible evidence is that 
they heard them speak with tongues. Amen? I know that you know that, but you see, others don't. <laughs> but really, really, you see, this is why I've always said, you know, you need to be, you need to know why you believe what you say you believe. And just speaking in other tongues because everybody in your church does isn't good enough. You need to know where the scriptures are. You need to have it fulfilled. You need to have a, a persuasion in your spirit. This is, according to the Bible, the first fruits of being filled with God's Spirit, the first fruits of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit of God fell upon people, they spoke with other tongues, full stop. Amen? <coughs> now, in Acts chapter 11, right next door, we'll just read the first three verses. It says, Now the apostles and the special messengers and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard with astonishment that the Gentiles also had received and accepted and welcomed the Word of God, the doctrine concerning the attainment through Christ of salvation in the kingdom of God. Verse 2, So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party, certain Jewish Christians, found fault with him, and they separated themselves from him in a hostile spirit. And they opposed and disputed and contended with him, saying, Why did you go to uncircumcised men and even eat with them? In other words, they become very upset because of the fact that the Jews at that time had no idea. They figured those that had been saved in Jerusalem, they had no idea. It was still a mystery to them that God's plan was not to be exclusively given to just the Jewish people. It was for any and all who would believe. So Peter begins to give this defense about his vision and how he saw. Remember this sheet fell from heaven three times, showing him all these cloven-hoofed animals, which according to the law were unclean. And God spoke to him in the vision each time, remember, said, take and eat. And he said, no, I will not eat anything unclean. And God kept saying, do not call unclean what I've called clean. Don't call unclean what I've sanctified. Until finally, Peter got a hold of it that when this message came about going down to Cornelius' household, it was okay for me to go to people that otherwise we've been told not to fellowship with, basically. Now, then if you'll jump to here and from verse 15 and Peter begins to share what happened and Peter says in verse 15 as he's sharing with the Jews there in Jerusalem he said when I began to speak the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he did on us in the beginning then I recalled the declaration of the Lord how he said John, and John indeed baptized with water but you shall be baptized with placed into introduced into the Holy Spirit if then God gave to them the same gift equally as he gave to us when we believed, when we trusted on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I and what power or authority had I to interfere or to hinder or forbid or withstand God? And when they heard this, they were quieted and they made no further objection and they glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance unto real life after the resurrection. Hallelujah. So again, Paul defends the whole thing by saying, listen, they received it. They received the same spirit exactly the same way as we did. And again, the evidence and the testimony that the Bible gives is they all spoke in other tongues. Now, point three, if you turn the page, in Acts chapter 19, you'll see here uh, this statement I've referred to, I think, in the first few weeks. But let's look at it again. Chapter 1, or verse 1, rather, chapter 19, the book of Acts. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul went through the upper inland districts and he came down to Ephesus, and there he found some disciples. 
And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed on Jesus as the Christ? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now, again, I've got to repeat myself from a week or so ago. Many people believe still today that, again, when you are born again, that because you're born of God's Spirit, that you receive all of the Holy Spirit that you're ever going to have. That when you're born again, you're born of the Spirit, so you already have the Holy Spirit. Well, that is true. You have Him in measure. He does come to live within you. But as we said right from the very beginning, the Bible teaches the difference between the Holy Spirit within and the Holy Spirit upon you. Remember, the Holy Spirit within you is to benefit you. The Holy Spirit upon you is going to cause benefit for others. The fruit of the Holy Spirit being within you is found in the nine fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 6. The strength of the Holy Spirit coming upon you is found in the nine gifts of the Spirit that manifest through you for the benefit of others. Nine gifts to you, nine gifts through you. The Holy Spirit within you, the Holy Spirit upon you. But here categorically, like I said, it's impossible not to see that there is not, that there is a subsequent, as we say, a subsequent experience to being born of the Spirit, which we'd call, for lack of better terms, being baptized in the Spirit, filled with the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit coming upon you. Because of this question that Paul asked, really think about it, they'd already received the truth, they'd received the Word of God, they had believed on Jesus Christ. Is that right? According to Acts 19. So they're born again. But Paul asked them, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? So again, I just want to make sure that you really have that. You may not think it makes any difference now, but trust me, later in your life at some point, it's going to make a difference that you understand Acts 19 is in the Bible because people are going to say, well, this, is a, this experience isn't that real. Everybody has the Holy Spirit. Anybody that's born again has the Holy Spirit. Well, they're partially right, but they're not fully right. What you have to be able to say is, well, that's true. They do have the Holy Spirit. But there's a difference between having Him live in you and, have, and being full of the Holy Spirit because Acts 19 says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They'd already believed. They were born of the Spirit but they did not have the experience that Paul is referring to. So, as you read on, as they said again in the, ver in the last part of verse 2, it said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he asked, Into what baptism then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. Verse 4, And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, continually telling the people that they should believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus, that they should have a conviction full of joyful trust that he is the Christ and be obedient to him. On verse 5, on hearing this, it says they were baptized again, this time in the name of the Lord Jesus. In other words, now what takes place is they're, that's it's referring to water baptism. But then it says in verse 6, and as Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And what'd they do? What'd they do? And they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And it says there were about 12 of them in all. But again, so we just have to keep seeing, this is what it, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, 
in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. So I know I'm maybe boring you right now tonight with just being pedantic about this, but I want you to catch this. These are the verses in this lesson and the lesson afterwards, and actually one of the, the ones before, that you need to know so that when somebody comes to you who wants to speak in tongues, who doesn't speak in tongues yet, you need to take them to these verses and just say, let's, let's look. What does the Bible say that happens? First of all, what's the terminology? He said, receive the Holy Spirit. You simply have to ask for Him just like you asked for Jesus. It's not, you know, it's, yes, this, this is the thing. See, back in Acts 10, I want you to see that there, there's different things that happen. And I, I'm going to get ahead of myself in the next week if I'm not careful. You don't put God in the box. You don't put the Holy Spirit in the box. Now, in Acts chapter 10, while Peter was yet speaking, the Holy Ghost fell upon them, and they all began to speak in other tongues. Amen? Nobody laid hands on anybody. There wasn't a prayer line. That's how I received the Holy Spirit. I was in, sitting in Riverside, California, and Teen Challenge in what was called a Thursday night praise-in. Uh, it was out in Southern California, so it was always nice and balmy down that part of Southern California. And they'd have a little singing group in, and, and we all sit out there in this kind of a, a courtyard, and there'd just be about 60, 70 people. And, and this guy who became one of my close friends, Ron Perry, who was a musician, he was up there singing that old Christian ballad, Sometimes Hallelujah. I'm not going to try to sing it because I'll ruin it, but sometimes, hallelujah, sometimes praise the Lord. And he was just singing this, and I was sitting out there. I was only about two and a half months old in the Lord. Didn't know anything. Still don't, but didn't know, really didn't know anything then. And I was just sitting there. Actually, I'd been there four months. And I was just sitting there, and suddenly I just found myself putting my hands up, and I started speaking in other tongues. And I never will forget it because I was in shock because I heard myself. Have you ever done that where you kind of you hear yourself speaking and you kind of turn and say, who's that? And you realize it's you. And I heard myself speaking in other tongues. And I remember that it bypassed my head and it shocked me because my head went into gear real quick thinking, well, what am I? Wait a second. What is that? Nah. And I always remember, I never will forget this. When I first started speaking in tongues, my mind instantly invaded and interrupted me and said, this, you're, you're being crazy. And I never will forget hearing this. I heard, I heard this as loud as I ever heard anything. I heard this voice say, eh, you're faking it. You're making these words up. You could have said these things beforehand. And then I heard another voice come from over here. I'll never forget. And I knew it was the Lord. He said, just keep on faking it, boy. <laughs> just keep on faking it. Just keep on keeping on. But something happened to me. And I, but the point is, I, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit just sitting there minding my own business, listening to a worship, listening to this man lead worship. Nobody laid hands on me at all. But here in Acts chapter 19, Paul shares with them this story, and he's concerned. He says, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? Because he knows they're going to need the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says, when Paul laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they all began to speak with other tongues and prophesy, right? So again, I, I, like I said, I'm not going to take a lot of time on this, but I just want you to see first that the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit in each case was that they spoke in tongues. So when you minister to somebody and you share with them about receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you need to minister in an, and expectancy to them. You need to say, listen, you know, all you have to do is ask everything that you do in God is by faith. You do understand that. 
And you have to just let people know. Just lift your hands to heaven. Just say, Father, in the name of Jesus, I receive the Holy Spirit. And I fully expect to speak with other tongues. So what I used to do is, again, because I'm a teacher, I don't, you know, I walk through that way. I would just sit there and I'd take them through Acts 2. I'd take them through Acts 8. I'd take them through Acts 10. I'd take them through Acts 19. And I'd just literally read the verses. And I'd say, what does it say? Just like I've done with you. And i say, now then, do you believe, according to Scripture, not according to me, that the initial evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit was that. And they said, yes, we do. Well, okay, though. Then, let's, then you need to have the same expectancy. That as, right now, you know, in the name of Jesus, Father, I believe I receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because, like Jesus said, if you ask your Father for a fish, He's not going to give you a serpent. He's going to give you what you ask for. Okay? Then Acts chapter 8, at the bottom of the outline, um, Acts chapter 8, verse 12 through 19 and I've already re read this one before, but I want to read it again as well. It doesn't mention tongues here, but it most definitely refers to it, and it, it indicates it. It says, But when they believed Philip, preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Then Simon himself believed also. This was Simon the sorcerer who had recently been saved. It says, Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done. Verse 14, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who when they were come down, in other words, catch this, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem, are you listening? When the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard about these people in Samaria that had received the word of God, in other words, they've believed on Jesus. The first thing they do is we need to send somebody to them to minister the Holy Spirit to them. I'll tell you why I like that. It's just simply this. is because, again, you have to understand different people have different anointings. There are some people who have just a, a gift from heaven in getting people filled with the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean? There are some that just have, I mean, you know, they're just amazing services. They'll pray for people, and everybody they pray for starts speaking in tongues almost instantly. You know what I mean? It's wonderful. Why didn't Philip just lead them into the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, evidently, he's an evangelist. There's signs and wonders there. It says Simon is just amazed at the miracles and the things that are happening at the guy's ministry, but none of them are getting filled with the Holy Spirit. I, I, the reason I want you to see this is because, again, we labor under a misconception often in the body of Christ that one man has the whole game. You know what I mean? That's just not the way it is. God will have no flesh glory in His presence. One of the things you learn as you begin to grow in Christ is you begin to learn about different anointings. Different people very simply have different anointings. But why this is so important to me is because of the things that I've experienced in my life working with other major ministries. I have watched so many people who have been around great ministers or great ministries. I've watched them because of the anointings on individuals so want to have the same results that they began to feel obligated to perform almost. In other words, they strive to have the same results. But if you don't have the same anointing, you ain't going to have the same results. What you're supposed to do is find out where God's anointed you. Do you hear me? You have to find out where, I am a teacher. I am not an evangelist. People call me sometimes, they still to this day, they'll call and say, we're having a, uh, an, you know, evangelistic weekend for, to get the lost saved, and we want you to come and preach. And I'll tell them, you got the wrong guy. 
that's not what I'm anointed to do. God's anointing on my life is to educate the spirits of believers. I mean, that's what I, that's what I do. You put me in a school or a Bible college, and I go to work. You give me somebody for nine months, like I said, if I really have them for five days a week, and through God's grace and the Word of God, we'll change their life. But put me in front of a group of lost people, and I can share a little bit of my testimony, what have you. But I always remember Dr. Summerall, who was one of my teachers who traveled with Howard Carter. Howard Carter had the most phenomenal, I mean, he was the first Hampstead Bible School of Faith guy that, out of England way back when, before World War II. And Howard Carter, everywhere he went, I mean, this guy had, he had uh, people get saved. I mean, by, he got more people saved by accident than other, other people did by trying. He'd get up and he'd say five minutes and people come forward. And anyhow, they were in some country, I don't know where, Dr. Summerall was a teacher. And he, he always, he, he made us laugh. He said, I never forget this one time. It was in China. He said, we're in China. And he said, they've asked me to get up and to preach to these people and to give an altar call. He said, I got up there and he said, I preached my best message. He said, I mean my best message. He said, I had all the good arm movements. I had all the arm waves. I, I preached my very best message. And he said, I gave an altar call. And he said, it was as still as a church mouth. I mean, nothing. Nobody moved a wing, man, nothing at all. And he said, I turned and Brother Carter just looked at me, smiled, and said, Brother Summerall, come have a seat. Because <laughs> Brother uh, uh, Carter was a much older man. Brother Summerall was only 24 years old, and Carter was some like 70-some years old. And he said, Brother Carter gets up, and he said he shared for four minutes and gave an altar call, and he said, three, four, 75% of everybody in the whole place came down and got saved. And he said, I remember sitting back and thinking to myself, I may as well go sell cars. And he said, but he said he didn't understand and how Carter began to teach him and others. You find out what God's anointed you. If you're, you know, he's not under But Carter would get up and try to teach and everybody would go to sleep. So that's just the way it is. You've got, to, you've got to learn these things. And one of the things you'll have to learn in life if you're going to follow Christ in this stuff is, first of all, don't put that pressure on ministers yourself, expecting them to have everything. They're just people. And one's anointed to do one thing, what we're going to find out next week, or some are anointed to do other things. We're supposed to find out when God's anointed us and be faithful to it. So again, Philip has been preaching to them. Signs and wonders are happening everywhere, but nobody's filled with the Holy Spirit. But it says here, verse 14 again, Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John, who, when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then laid they their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. And when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me also this power, that on whomsoever I lay my hands he may receive the Holy Ghost. And you remember I shared a few weeks back, Peter and them, they said, your money perish with you. You don't know what you're doing. You don't know what spirit you're of. I mean, they didn't say that. It's from another verse, but it's the same statement. Now, see, it doesn't say here, again, that they spoke in tongues, but it says that when Simon saw, so something happened when he laid hands on him. And of course, this is why we say you always interpret scripture in context with other scripture. And all the other passages, when they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they spoke in tongues. So we can only, we can rightly assume, if you see what I mean. I mean, there's no reason not to. Why else? What, is there, there's no problem with that whatsoever. Simon saw that when these, Peter laid hand, these people laid hands on them, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke with other tongues. They saw it. They saw it. So basically, that's all we wanted to get out of this first hour. We, I want that to just be a nail in a sure place, that you really understand 
that is what this is. That is the initial evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay? You all right with that? Say yes anyhow. Yes. Okay, we're going to stop right there and take our first break. Father, we thank you for it. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, amen. You have reached the end of this lesson. Please insert the next lesson to continue.